Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We are on Listener's Choice Part Number Three. This is all about uh, your questions. So, Bobby, we've been collecting questions from listeners over the past several months and uh, consolidated it to a three-part series. And we've got more, but we'll save that for uh, for a later time. So this series is in no particular order, so you can listen to it in any way you want to. Um, and then, Bobby, you want to talk about what we're going to cover next week? Yeah, next week we're going to jump into a new series. Uh, the title of that series is Creating Opportunity. It's really about a creation mindset. Uh, maybe not so much of a, of a finding mindset, which a number of reps and people that I've been coaching lately have been more seem, seeming to gravitate towards a finding mindset. While it's great to find the next big whale, it's pretty unlikely in today's world. And uh, we got a bunch of tips and tricks we'll give you over a two-week period of time on how to go out and create opportunity in both net new accounts and then some of your existing accounts as well. Perfect. Looking forward to it. All right, so we've got several we'll get through here, and then we'll save the rest uh, for the next um, time that we cover Q&A. And Bobby, the first one is, how do I keep a deal moving along when a prospect disappears? And um, man, if you're in, if you're in like, um, actually, it probably happens across many different business types. It's probably just because I'm in this. But if you're in kind of big deal, big hunt prospecting, this happens all the time to where you'll have a prospect who was seemingly hot and heavy and, you know, they seemed interested and they, you know, maybe they really wanted you to fill out their RFP. Maybe that's really what it was all about. And then all of a sudden they kind of start ghosting you. They stop, they slow their responses. Maybe they stop their responses altogether. Uh, that's never happened to you, has it? No, I'm, you know, my customers always followed my reverse timelines or else, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, of course it did. And, uh, I know I know what I think about from a consumer perspective when I've done this to salespeople. Sure. And then I, I think I've asked for feedback from customers. The reality is, is there's a myriad of reasons why this happens. Uh, most commonly, I think life just happens, right? Other things become more important. The budget gets cut. People don't want to make other people mad. And they're ghosting you intentionally, right? I... I this week uh, got a quote to rearrange mo- some some walls and structure in my office at the flight school, kind of open up my office so that I'd see more customers, et cetera. And it's literally adding a sliding door and putting up a f- like almost a faux wall. Um, I was thinking somewhere in the tune of two to four thousand dollars all in for the work to be completed, and I got a quote that was ten thousand dollars, right? Yeah. I am probably not calling them back. They're going to be getting ghosted. And it's actually a friend of mine, right? It's just, I mean, we. I never thought it would be anywhere near that much. And I read the description of the work, and it's like, I got to paint. I got to move the furniture. It's just, it's not meeting my expectations. And we had plenty of time to talk about it. He didn't ask a lot of questions when he came out. So, I, I, it, it, it's so that very reason, I think, when you are working a deal, that you weren't engaged, you really don't know, you lobbed over a proposal, the proposal's a huge miss, and you're just getting ghosted. Yeah, it's happened for me recently too, very similar. I was 
I was thinking I'd get some concrete done work done to the backyard. We we're going to extend our patio a bit and redo some of that. Come back and the quote was eleven thousand dollars, and I was like, "Yeah, that's all right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be kicking off this part of the project because it was just going to be kind of a phase one thing anyway." So I, I've certainly well the, well, the reality there. Sorry to interrupt you, but the reality yeah. there is this was a piece of work that I mean, we really need four, five, six, seven pieces of work done, right? Mm-hmm. All of it building, all of it contractor all of it multi-year, all of it adding up that I know it's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I, I don't want him to do the work for free, but I, is that really what it's going to take? And my first mindset when I opened up the quote on my phone and looked at the numbers because that's what I did and that's <laughs> what everyone does, I did not read all of the goodness at the beginning of his proposal. It It's it's a big number, and I thought, well, golly, I could probably do that in three weekends myself, right? All I got to do is put up some 2 by 4 and I guess it's going to be hard work, but – I know if me and my son get in there, do some sheetrock and hang a couple doors, right? So mm-hmm. I'm just, and that's what customers are thinking, especially in this tech world, right? Is it worth 4X what I thought it was going to be to have someone else do it? Or do I just divert my team and have them work on this project? Yeah. Yep. And so I think the, how do you, how do you remedy this? And I'm, there's not necessarily a perfect way to, to remedy it. I've seen a couple of things work reasonably well. One is the old, I'm going to be uh, two buildings over on this date. Can I get a cup of coffee with you? I've seen that work uh, a lot. That's probably the most effective tactic I've seen work. Um, I think the smartest thing to do, though, is to, um, is, to, is to recognize that ghosting is part of the gig and that you're going to have a lot of deals and you're going to have a lot of lines in the water and you've got to be ready and willing to move on and learn from that experience. Probably maybe the learning opportunity there is the, the, there's obviously expectations were obviously not met. Like something fell through because if it was, if he came back and that thing was $900, your response back, what would be probably what, like when, when could you start? You yeah, know? yeah. It'd be, it would, so <clears throat> I, I think well, it's, $900. I would have said, are you sure we're going to be able to accomplish everything we wanted? Like it wouldn't have taken much. And maybe this is, I'm, I'm uh, prospecting. I'm in the front of the horse here. Like, when he first walked in and looked at all of it, he says, do you have a gut on how much you think it's going to cost Bobby? And I could have said 2000 and he would have said, Whoa, that's not even going to build this fake wall. And here's why. And talk me through it. I mean, I think that's a lot of what we don't do good as tech sellers. You know, we don't, we don't even really understand the balance and imbalance of, of where we both are at in the willing to talk about this project. Cause if he would have said the fake wall was going to cost two grand, mm-hmm. I would say, okay, well how much, how much is the door? Cause I, I know I can build the fake wall. The door's the bigger lift, right? Um, putting a door in a wall that's already there. I don't think I've never done that. I don't think I can do that. So I'm, I think that's the first piece um, is figuring out where, are we both working towards the same goal? Yeah. Yeah. So learn, learn from it. Understand what the miss is. Be maybe more transparent at that first meeting. I know some folks that will like the very first meeting, they'll say, look, this project is going to cost you X number of hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Are we even in the right stratosphere? Right. They're like super transparent about where things are going to land. And I've seen it work really, really well. And I've seen, I've seen some sellers do a good job of selling pure value to say, look, it's probably going to come in this range, but we're going to be really prepared to help show you how X, Y, and Z can save your company 2X that over a three-year time period. So 
but I think I, I think for me, and maybe this is the sales manager part of me speaking, is the an average rep consistently depends on deals they're getting uh, ghosted on and waters dead plants. Uh, going back to an episode we did a couple yep. of years ago. And is not it's is too dependent on deals that are out of their control, and is you got to be ready and willing to move on. And uh, if you're not, you're going to be a perennial average achiever. No doubt, no doubt. And close the book works, but you can't overuse it. We had a, an episode mm-hmm. on that calling calling customers out on on ghosting you and moving on. But um, I think the funnel is is key here. You got to have a bigger pipe, and you can't just have one deal that's going to help you get to your number. All right. Next question is, how do I prospect when I am burnt out? And man, I can feel you here. Um, been in technology sales for 20 years now. And there are not only that, like there are many parts of this job and I'm sure it's every job. I'm sure uh, a hematologist is saying I'm, he's burnt out on, on things. Um, I'll go back to something I talk about a lot, Bobby. That's my Thursday rule, which I exercised this week. I had a crazy travel week. And um, I said, I am I am not taking an early 8 o'clock meeting. I basically hold all meetings until 10 a.m. And I sleep in until 7 a.m. And it is, it is so refreshing to know that I don't have to wake up and immediately jump on a plane or jump on a call. Um, Fridays are already relaxing, given the nature of the tech industry. Um, to add a Thursday to that, for whatever reason, psychologically for me, makes a huge deal. That's just a minor tactic that I always call out. And I've talked to a ton of you that are, that are doing this and I love to hear that it's working. Um, Bobby, one thing I would suggest here, um, and it'd be good to get your thoughts on it too, is uh, try to vary it. Um, maybe pick three of your your best partners or five of your best partners and set up a lunch with them. Have something for them, of course. You know, you're not just in the looking for mood, but Ask, the, ask your partners, like, what's working for you guys? Is there a certain event that's worked well? Like, broaden your horizon a bit. Sometimes we can be so myopically focused on what it is we do day to day to day that we lose focus on what what else is working out there. Yeah, and I think some of this will, will bleed into the conversation over the next couple of weeks, but it doesn't the prospecting piece doesn't always have to be about finding the whale, right? It doesn't always have to be about finding the next thousand seats for software or millions of gigabytes for storage. It just, sometimes it's just meeting with your customer and checking in, right? You, you'd be surprised how much stuff you'll find. Um, we talked about call 10 probably a thousand times mm-hmm. on this podcast, but just reaching out and talking to people, you'll be amazed at how much stuff you'll find that might not be a current week or current month opportunity, but could be, could be something that's going to turn into an opportunity down the road. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to burn too much on this because we'll talk, like I said, we're going to talk about this in the next series. Um, I, I would, I would say if you're burnt out on the means, obviously, you know, the obvious thing is to vary, to vary your approach, but look outside of it. What's probably happening is less of a burnout on prospecting, more of a burnout on the job and things like diet, exercise, sleep, um, I would probably look to those things first because when I'm in a good spot there, the rest of the job becomes exponentially more easy. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Um, I feel like I'm earning a bad reputation at my company. 
Uh, some of the projects have gone wrong and I tend to move quickly and isolate myself. I'm kind of summarizing uh, the email here. Okay, so let's take the first part. I feel like I'm earning a bad reputation at the company. And it sounds like they're saying the reason they're earning a bad reputation at the company is because maybe they're operating as a lone wolf, moving quickly through customers and opportunities. Because they're moving quickly, some of the projects have gone wrong. I'm probably reading a little bit into this into this question here. But I think this is probably the real challenge, Bobby, of the lone wolf approach is to... Um, is to, to kind of skim and, and, and do what you want to do, take your approach, kind of forget about the way the company operates holistically and, and try to take things on yourself. And obviously the challenge that causes uh, almost an immediate symptom of that is that people are having to clean up around you. So if you're skipping out on this or not doing that, well, then people are having to spend an extra 30 minutes here or hour there to um, uh, to do the work that you were uninterested in doing or unwilling to do, um, which frustrates people. People don't want to work with that person. Um, it's it's a beating, and I think they think, well, there's no impact. It's just a this is a costless approach that I'm taking. Obviously, this person has started to uh, gain some uh, recognition of the impact this is having. Yeah, that you nailed it with the lone wolf uh, syndrome here, and I've uh, probably been privy to this or created this myself as a rep because I'm confident and I think I got it. But one thing that I think I really learned at, at EMC more than anywhere else was don't, don't win alone and definitely don't lose alone. You know, there was so much visibility on multi-million dollar deals that you would lose that you, you I learned really quick that I didn't want to lose alone, even deals that I thought I was going to win for sure. Right. In that hardware world, I think there's quite a bit of margin, and someone would, you know, have to win a deal, and their management would let them go to the floor quickly, and then we were out. Right? And that's a multi-year problem. Like they migrate, you're done. But in that instance, I think it's it's important that executives be involved, your manager be involved, you everybody's kind of got their eye on the ball, so that it it doesn't come back to reflect so poorly on you. Make it about the team. Make it about the joint effort. Make it about the group. Not that you want them to all look bad, but you probably missed something if this is what you're feeling right now. If you feel like you're getting a bad reputation, there's things that people saw that weren't done. And I think the typical one that I've seen over the last few years is overselling uh, and making it impossible for the delivery team to deliver, right? I mean, that's pretty much what every engineer would say for every salesperson. You oversold it. We can't do it like that. We've never done it like that. And, you know, maybe you lose a deal or two, but that, that definitely would change your brand for sure if you if you didn't undersell as an example. And I, I think this underscores the importance of the, your brand and your brand equity. I, I refer it that way a lot internally. It's certainly not my term, but I think it's a really good way to describe it. We all have, we all carry equity, and um, there are people that have done a great job of building and growing their equity within the company, which is basically just their personal capital and ability to get unique things done or to get a conversation with someone at a high level in the company. These things can be massively impactful for your deals. They can create liquidity in your deals and help you get things done. The people, the lone wolf, burn those bridges and they burn that equity unnecessarily. They think they're saving time. They think they're saving effort. They think they're just getting things done. The reality is that person that you think is a, 
is kissing up to so-and-so or so-and-so is really building equity that they're using to close deals. Now, there are obviously people that will kiss up and they don't even know how to convert on that capital that they think they're earning. So sophistication is everything here. But brand equity helps you get things done. That contract exception, that executive one-on-one, that unique commission to ask that you have because a deal crosses over fiscal lines. There is a reason that the same people get that over and over. Those are typically the people that are kind of hearing what's important to the company and focusing on that and also doing the really hard job that they're assigned to do. Last thing I'll add here is if you ever want to be a manager, this is one that you don't want to get trapped in either because managers manage teams. They don't manage individual lone wolves, and they've got to incorporate a group of people to accomplish a goal. And if you are such a lone wolf that you always go at it alone, you always break the glass to get the deal done, et cetera, you're probably never going to be looked at for a manager position. Yes. Yeah. Men, the, the VPs or directors or whoever that frontline manager is working for wants solutions, not problems. Exactly. That my dad, my dad used to always say, uh, was my first sales lesson was, uh, don't leave the monkey in your, in your boss's office. Don't got this monkey on your shoulder. You're wrestling to get off. The The answer is not to drop it off at your, your boss's office. And, and your previous bosses will, will say thank you for that. <laughs> no doubt. Um, okay. Uh, next one. How can you make a sales meeting or a team meeting that teammates want to join, not something they have to join? Um, it's a challenging one. I, like, uh, I, I thought of a few things on this. Um, I was just going to say impossible and we go to the next question, but impossible. Um, we'll, we'll give the best tips we can. <laughs> I, contents, everything like don't feel free to cancel the meeting every once in a while. Like you don't have to have a team meeting every week or every two weeks or whatever. Uh, so just having it on the calendar is not necessarily a valuable use for everyone's time. So I guess first things first, don't have a meeting for meeting's sake. Uh, what I try to do, I don't know if this is great or not. What I try to do is I have a OneNote page, surprise, surprise, that I collect my thoughts over the course of the week in preparation for the next Monday team call. And then I basically work off of that OneNote for our team meetings. Um, I got a policy that during the week, unless it's super urgent, I don't touch the team with email between Tuesday and Friday. Occasionally on Friday, I'll break that because Friday is kind of an admin day. So I, I store up things that we'll eventually discuss on Monday. Um, so it tends to be kind of meaty content. Uh, that's one thing I do. Um, have others contribute. So if there's something that someone on the team is good at that the rest of the team is wrestling with, I'll have them speak to it. Um, if you got a remote team, uh, going camera on can be helpful. Um, it just makes it a little bit more real. Otherwise, you kind of get the impression that people are just kind of doing handstands or push-ups or whatever uh, while the team meeting is going on. And you kind of, you always have this awkward, you finish a topic, you ask if there are any questions, and you are and you got crickets on the line. Uh, having camera on tends to eliminate that. Yeah, I've, uh, I've actually been with a few people that have played an entire nine holes of golf while on a conference call with their team, meaning listening to their boss. It's pretty genius, really. Um, I don't know if I'd want to know that or not, but I'm, I'm sure it's happened on one of my team calls. 
All right, uh, let's, Bobby, hit the, the final one here. I'm trying to, to, to determine what is next in my career. And we've actually done a full series on this, so we'll recommend that you check that out. Um, I think the guiding principle I use uh, with my own career is I, I want to be a, a happier person. Um, I want to continually, as I get to 50, do thing, do more of the things I like doing and less of the things that I don't like doing. And while that seems very obvious, I don't think it's the prevailing approach that people take. I think a lot of people think the manager is the next role for me. And what they do is they, they get so headset and focused on becoming a manager, typically of even just the organization or teammate they are on, that they think like, this is the next job. Like, I'm going to crush it as a sales rep and or or not crush it as a sales rep, and I'm going to be the next manager of this team that I'm managing. And I think it's such a short-sighted view on what your career could become. Um, and you may not even like the job. Like, it could be just a terrible job and maybe even a cut in pay versus being the top sales guy on the team. Yeah, this is one that I'm not sure young people will believe, and, and I'm still young at heart at, at 46. But the... I wanted my career to move much faster than I should have wanted my career to move. And I will also say that I worked for a company in the mid-2000s, 2005 to 2010, where at Microsoft your job was to find your next job. So it was all about you know getting promoted and moving on to the next thing. So it was induced some to me, but I, I can remember – just remember how well I felt when I went to Sparkham and I had a bigger, I had a big job, but I didn't have a lot of responsibility. I was just selling to Houston like I was before at Microsoft that I was relieved that I wasn't going to be looking for my next job. I didn't need to get promoted. I didn't need to try and promote myself. I didn't need to create my, keep this deck going and impress a bunch of people possibly slit a few throats along the way because I needed to get ahead. That was all past me. And it was very freeing. So if you're in that world where you're trying to move up quickly, take a deep breath and think about what's the worst thing that can happen if you're in that job for four years like, and blow it out for those four years and enable 10 people around you to be super successful and accomplish a lot of goals. And so when I took some time off and then went to Dell EMC, I had no interest in being a manager again. I had no no desire. And I just nailed my day job. And I was getting hammered every day about getting a bigger job, getting promoted, moving on, doing things that would lead teams of people, please participate in this leadership development, all the things that I didn't necessarily really want to do. But because I was doing my job and not trying to promote myself, the opportunities were boundless. So I'm not saying that's going to happen if you're 24 and you had a good year, one good year that the doors are just going to come wide open. But I do think that consistency over three, four, or five years, while you're while you're participating in some leadership development programs, building your mentor network, partnering with partners, and doing great with those things, the 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 jobs will start to present themselves where you're not having to seek out and ask for them, and it'll also create a mindset where you're not losing opportunities. Right? I think for all of us that were in the mode mode of getting promoted or moving on. We didn't get a few opportunities. Maybe we didn't fail an interview process, but we thought we wanted a shot at a job. We never even got to finals day. That those those are painful, and then you really start to question, and you really start working harder, and you get desperate. 
you know, I think if you just nail your day job, you'll be surprised at what opportunities present themselves because other, as we say, hitters want to be around hitters and a a good boss, a good manager is going to seek you out and find you. And I think a way to, to start documenting this is instead of it being specific about what role is next for you, be more specific around what things you're good at and what things you enjoy doing. And that can be broad enough to where if an opportunity presents itself, um, it could be something unexpected. Uh, and like I said, Bobby, it, you know, at 24, it, it's not going to be as easy. Um, but we're, you know, in this tech world, these companies we're working for are just growing. They're outpacing the rest of the marketplace. So you have unique jobs and management roles that come up and individual contributor roles that come up that are unusual. And by pigeonholing yourself, pigeonholing yourself into a specific role on a specific team, like who you can't, you can't control what's next there. You know, what if some top manager wants to go cross functionally and manage that team direct? Like you're going to get crushed in the interview, right? If they're a top performer and, and just want to go try out the line of business that you're managing in. And then how long are they going to be in that role? Two or three years. So now all of a sudden your grand plan is just throw that PowerPoint deck away. So I would just say focus on what you enjoy doing, what you're good at, and then uh, speak to mentors, go cross organization, and really broaden your horizons. And I, I think you'll be much happier um, and less disappointed if that most immediate thing does not come true. Well, I've heard a lot of disappointing stories about managers, wannabe managers who didn't get manager jobs, but I've heard a lot more stories where a person had no idea that they were even looking for the the thing they found that they love, that is their passion, that's changed their life, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's a lot more good ones out there than the few bad ones. And it, it just it just is a real deal that if you if you quit searching for that thing, it might find you uh, without you searching for it, right? It, it really is. Uh, it is a powerful tool. It's happened to me a couple times, and I've been very grateful for them, and it might happen for you as well. With that, let's wrap it up, Brian. As always, average is the enemy. Average sucks. Don't be average, people. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.